Welcome to Black Fashion History, the podcast that celebrates the contributions of Black people to the fashion industry. It's Black history, but make it fashion. And I'm your host, Taniqua Martin. Hey, hey, everyone. Thanks for joining again. Hope you're having a great day. And I so appreciate and love that you're choosing to spend just this little portion of your day with me and listen to some Black fashion history. So I was listening to some old episodes that I recorded when I first started, like in 2019, 2020, and looking over some of my like first couple of show notes and I just kind of miss the way that I used to do episodes back then like the format so I kind of want to get back to that if you are a listener from back then then you remember when I used to do the fashion spotlight and the fashion term before every single episode or every single solo episode that I would do and then when I started doing more interviews I kind of got away from that because I didn't want the podcast to be so long but I think I'm gonna go ahead and we're gonna implement those back into the solo episodes because it's just a fun way for me to tie in fashion history with the current things that were going on and just share a little more information with you all. That's what I love to do. So I have a fashion spotlight for you in today's episode in honor of Fashion Month this September and New York Fashion Week that is happening this week. I want to spotlight Bishmi Cromarty, who is a black designer raised in Baltimore. He is the most recent Project One Way winner. He won season 20 of Project Runway, and then that was the all-star season. And he just had his first ever New York Week fashion show. He states that his mission as a black designer is to encourage self-expression, advocate for representation, and shatter the expectations for people of color. His goal is also to continue opening doors for all people of color and for his designs to inspire those who may not see themselves in the fashion industry and he has been published in so many outlets including Vogue, Elle, Essence, Forbes, The Washington Times, BT, Women's Wear Daily and some of his celebrity clients include Lizzo, Karuchi Tran, Nisi Nash and Andre Day as well as many others so congratulations to Bishmi Cromarty. I have been following him for years and I love all of his looks. For his debut collection, he did a lot of structured silhouettes with a street style kind of flair in terms of material, colors, and styling. And I thought it looked great. So I am going to post a link where you can view the show in this episode's show notes so you all can see what I'm talking about and support a black designer who is making history. Moving on to our next segment. Now, this would be the part where I would give a black fashion term, but I don't have a fashion term for today's episode. I just couldn't find one that related to the information that I was going to share that you all didn't already know. So no fashion term for today. But I am going to go ahead and shout out the DMV area because that's kind of the central theme of today's episode. You know, I just talked about Bishmi Cromarty, who is a Baltimore, Maryland native. And today I'm going to share about the life and career of Rosemary E. Reed Miller, who is one of the first black women to own a boutique in D.C. Now let's get into it. Rosemary E. Reed was born in Yeadon, Pennsylvania to a mother who loved art. In her house, she would always have something that had to do with art because of her mother and it was a very normal part of her life. And growing up, she did lots of crafts and sewing and anything to get her creative genes going. 
She graduated from Temple University in Pennsylvania, and she made her way down to work in Jamaica. Being a young girl in the United States in the late 50s, early 60s, she found it very tough to live in the U.S. and felt that the racism in life was extremely hard and that it prevented her from doing a lot of the things and using her creative talent in the way that she wanted to. She just felt like, which was an accurate assessment, but she believed that Blacks weren't given the opportunities in the U.S. to be able to do all that they wanted to, especially women. This was also around the time where Europe, France specifically, was experiencing a boom in Black creative talent. Many designers, many models, and other people were moving to France because they just were not experiencing the same intolerance that they were experiencing here in the U.S. and they were given more opportunities and everyone heard about this including rosemary and she knew france to be open in terms of opportunities for talented blacks and she wanted to make her way over there however she couldn't quite afford to reach france so she ended up in jamaica instead because she had relatives living there and she so deeply wanted to work abroad because the u.s was not it for her While working abroad in Jamaica, she would always have jewelry made for her locally and she would always like change the style up a bit from what she saw into something that was more suitable for her personal style, which also tended to be more North America leaning in terms of what was popular in fashion and people noticed and they always asked her, you know, why don't you sell that to department stores? Now, with this idea in mind, she would be between the U.S. and Jamaica in terms of her living and working situation, and she would eventually move back to the U.S. and go to New York to speak to different department stores to start selling this jewelry that she would have made in Jamaica wholesale to department stores. So she had been featured in stores like Saks, Lord & Taylor, and other small stores around They started carrying her jewelry and it became increasingly popular in stores around New York, in Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C. Through all of this, she did get married to Paul E. Miller, who is a law school dean at Howard University and worked as a prominent lawyer. And in 1964, they moved to Washington, D.C. and really planted roots there. While in D.C., she did a variety of things. She kind of reminds me of how we are now where we have our full-time jobs, but everyone's always keeping our side hustles. And we're always just pushing towards our dreams and that ultimate creative thing that we want to do. I'm not sure of the timeline of all of her jobs, but I do know while in D.C., she worked for the Washington Post and the Washington Star, and she covered mainly women's issues and articles and she also wrote for women's wear daily and other publications in addition to that and this is where i'm iffy on the timeline and the overlay of writing for the newspapers and also working but she did work for the department of agriculture for two years as an information officer in dc as well so Miss Rosemary was hustling. She had jobs, but she also had a goal of just a better life for herself as a black woman, for her family and to do things that she enjoyed. Going back to her jewelry that she would sell to stores in the tri-state area or 
New York, Philly, and D.C. because D.C. is not really in the tri-state area. She began doing more and more trade shows to sell to additional shops and then decided that it would be good to have a showroom shop where she could feature all of her finds and accessories and items that she would get from overseas in Jamaica and other places to show and have people be able to order for their boutiques from her showroom. And this is how her famous Toast and Strawberries Boutique was born. The showroom was so popular that she started selling retail and not just wholesale to smaller boutiques. And she opened Toast and Strawberries, the boutique, on DuPont Circle at the intersection of Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New Hampshire Avenues, and P and 19th Streets in Northwest DC. And this was a very historic neighborhood. So pause real quick. I need all my D.C. natives and D.C. dwellers to let me know if you're familiar with that place and like what the significance is. I have no frame of reference or context for this area outside of Rosemary's store. I just know that it was historic because that's what I found in my research. So y'all tell me what that really, really means. But back to the story, it was very unusual at the time to have a black owned let alone black women owned a business in this area. Rosemary describes it in this way. Um, she says that on one side of Connecticut Avenue was like the mixed area where you have like black people and other types of people. And then on the other side of Connecticut was strictly the white side. Connecticut Avenue was like a dividing line. And her store was located on what was determined to be the white side. So it was a big fight for her to get the space to even rent it. And so this was an amazing feat. And for her, a girl originally from Philly coming to DC with her husband, like she didn't know she wasn't quote unquote supposed to be there. She didn't know this was the white side. She was just a black woman making her mark and, you know, starting her business and doing something that she loves so she can start, you know, serving people who love fashion as well. And when she opened up the boutique in 1966, she became the only black woman boutique owner in DC at the time. She also stated in a 2005 interview with the Washington Post that sometimes she would stand outside her store with a white employee to make white customers feel more comfortable with coming in. But eventually, Toast and Strawberries emerged as the place in Washington for young black professionals. People described her boutique as eccentric, and she said that her boutique was international because anything that she had in there came from someplace else. She worked with small designers and she didn't want anything commercial in her boutique. She didn't sell things that were found in department stores and she catered to the unique taste of the DC men and women, getting most of her things from Africa and the Caribbean. Toast and Strawberries was not only a clothing store, but it also sold accessories. It came to sell home accessories and also um, started doing 
book signings and book readings and sponsoring poetry readings and business seminars, all things to better the community. And Rosemary Reed Miller would often put on fashion shows for community sponsorship, which I talked about in my episodes about the history of fashion shows in Black communities. Here's another example of a Black woman business owner using fashion as a tool to raise funds for social justice causes. In 1968, she put on a fashion show to support the SNCC. So Toast and Strawberries wasn't just about being a fashion house or even a place for her to express her creative interests or make money, but it was also a pillar of her community. She was a very big advocate for African-American women entrepreneurs. In 1981, she was named D.C. Small Business Person of the Year and also served as a delegate to the White House Conference on Small Business. In addition to being an amazing Black woman entrepreneur, as well as a fashionista and trendsetter, Miss Rosemary Reed Miller was also a scholar. Much of what we know about Black designers before the 1950s is because of the work of Rosemary E. Miller-Reed. So as part of what she would do for Toast and Strawberries, she would always put on a Black history fashion show or fashion program and talk about Black designers in the past. As she was doing these shows and talking to people, she realized she wasn't as familiar with Black designers prior to the 1950s. So she started a research project that focused on the contributions to design of African-American women prior to the 1950s. She conducted a lot of her research at Howard University using the library and found just amazing information, which led her to write her book, called Threads of Time, The Fabric of History, Profiles of African-American Dressmakers and Designers, 1850 to the Present. And this book is still available today. You can get it on Amazon. And it really is like a textbook of Black fashion history and gives us insight into all of the contributions that Black women specifically made to the fashion industry, a lot of which may have been forgotten or unwritten because it was during a time where our history wasn't taken seriously enough to write down. Rosemary Miller was also dealing with ovarian cancer at the time. And so proceeds from her book went to support ovarian cancer research. She also used her time battling disease to educate other Black women about it and to celebrate the Black women who have overcome it. In 2017, Rosemary passed away but left an amazing legacy. Her famous toast and strawberries was a staple in DuPont Circle for 37 years and the boutique closed in 2004. And of course, her book, Threads of Time, is still available and still circulating in print and provides a foundation for the work that I do here on this podcast and the work of many other Black fashion historians, curators, designers, stylists, creatives in this industry. And that's it, guys. Make sure you check the show notes for a direct link to all of the resources that I use for today's episode, as well as the link to Bishmi Marty's fashion show and a couple of interviews that I was able to find of Rosemary E. Miller online. 
If you love today's episode or any episode, make sure to give us a five-star review on Apple. It takes you all of two seconds, but it really, really counts towards helping this show reach more people um, and more Black fashion enthusiasts like you. And if you haven't done so already, follow us on all social media at Black Fashion History Podcast so you can keep up with all things Black fashion history. And the most important thing, if you do nothing else, come back next week and join me for another riveting installment of Black Fashion History. Bye-bye.